Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. But let's face it, it's mostly about Middle-Earth Strategy Battle Game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 17, and I am here with Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I feel really bad about missing last week's delivery of the episode. We are a week late. Um, but that, you know, in real life, uh, I do talk about how crazy my work schedule is, and uh, it decided to become even crazier. But uh, we'll move away from that and just acknowledge that <laughs> this is a blip and it will not be happening moving forward. We're, uh, I will, I should say, uh, are focused on uh, making sure this gets out faster. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these things happen, you know. We're not on like a, a strict carved in stone schedule here we just we're trying every two weeks and you know sometimes it's not going to be possible due to uh, other commitments yeah but we do have some of our listeners that reach out to us just to say hey how come you've sent your 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 episode you know we're so excited (laughs) to listen to it and when you hear that even you know even if it's just such a little thing it's like oh that's nice people listen (laughs) <laughs> it's like just when you thought nobody was listening, people contact you and say, "Hey, how come your show's late?" <laughs> exactly, and it's it's nice. It's a nice little thing, right? So, um, yeah. So, so uh, any hobbying done in your crazy schedule between all your uh, number crunching and whatever? You know, I've looked at my models multiple times. I'm also actually going to buy a wet palette. Um, I'm looking at one of those everlasting wet palettes. Oh yeah. Uh, mostly because I want to. Like I've been watching some hobby videos in my spare time, um, which is few and far between, um, and so I'm really getting keener on uh, the wet palette. And I've had some makeshift wet palettes in the past, and let me tell you, that Tupperware container with a little lid and your your makeshift sponge and your piece of parchment paper, it, uh, it's okay. Uh, it gets the job done, kind of. But I'm I'm sort of keener on more of a professional wet palette something designed for acrylics and all that stuff yeah i've uh seen them used before i've never tried using one myself but i've been meaning to give it a try because um i guess the big thing with it is that like it really um extends the amount of time that your paint is usable Mm -hmm. um and you don't have to like have your bottle of paint open you just put some paint on your wet palette and yes um i'm i'm not into painting really i'm not a painter per se but but I, like, I do see the benefits of it for sure. Cause mm-hmm. For those that do layer painting, it's like massive. Um, I, I say this, but I mean all types of painting, it's great, right? Because it allows you to sort of um, change the consistency of your paint from like a layer paint to a glaze to a wash very easily on the palette itself, um, which mm-hmm. is good. Uh, but if you're really big into layer painting, what it also allows you to do is you can put Um, a shadow, a mid-tone, and a highlight all on your wet palette, and then you just blend them all together. So you're like you're wet blending on your actual palette, Uh, and even just like a rough wet blend, and then what you can do there is you can sort of dip into certain sections of the wet blend, and then just layer paint on um, onto your actual model, and then what you're doing there is you're getting these very close tones, and so your layers um, don't have these strong demarcation lines. Uh, between right. uh, uh, between layers, essentially, and it makes it uh, look a lot better. And I've seen uh, this used to really good effect from uh, some several uh, good painters on the YouTubes. 
Yeah, I don't. I like. I don't think that would go beyond my ability to paint. Like, I would be totally willing to give that a try for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just been mostly. I haven't been doing any painting still, um, but I have been working on my little display board, which yep, is yep. tends to. Uh, it's already tended to get more complicated than I was originally planning. Um, mm -hmm. Just because, like, originally I just like stuck together some pieces of foam and I started making a making a little display board, and I was just gonna keep it pretty rough and ready. But then I'm like, ah, you know, maybe I better like put a back on this, and so I put like an MDF back on it. So I better yeah. build up the back of it a bit more, you know. And so one thing leads to another. So today I put a side panel on it, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh my god, it's like just add so much time to it but it's coming along good i'm having fun building it that's the main thing it's just i switched over to doing that because it's just, i just felt like making something rather than painting mm -hmm. um honestly so though like that. when when i look at your display board and it's already coming along really nicely um i just have to say like those types of like boards you put your models on them and then your models just pop because there's this really beautiful display board that's so, so cohesive with your army itself. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. So, I mean, like diving into little extra details on your display board, spending that little extra time doing it, it's totally worth it in the end because that board lasts you for years. Like, you know yeah, I mean? <laughs> like my other display board that's like over 20 years old that I use. Exactly. Um, it's, it's been uh, my old old reliable or old faithful, old I guess. Old faithful, yes. Uh, it's old Barney's yeah, yeah. old faithful. Yeah. Actually, I just, I'm just making this because I felt like making something and I was like, okay, hey, this is a bingo square on the bingo. So it's like I'm not, I'm not getting any painting done, but I can still maybe knock off a bingo square. Um, and speaking of that, I actually did knock off another bingo square today because I finally finished watching Return of the King. So that was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, down. Did, did you did you skip the Frodo and Sam scenes? No, I've I, I watched all through everything. Extended cut. Yeah, yeah. Ultra it's extended cut. One. It's the only one I have. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you haven't looked thought about getting the 4K one? I think it's where they uh, they touch up the the Lord of the Rings graphics to be in line with the the Hobbit. Nope, I haven't I haven't got that. Don't plan on getting it. Uh, so. Okay. I'll stick with my uh, stick with my just my regular. Okay. Well, I have one standard. question to ask you. How is sure. the virtual tournament coming along? Uh, we have started the final game in the virtual tournament on the OSPGL. Mm -hmm. um, last last game was the second of the two semifinals, mm -hmm. and it was uh, Father Justin, his Angmar playing Michael Campbell's. Moria mm -hmm. and uh, Father Justin won by a single vote. He won fourteen to thirteen. And, and funnily enough, the last and final vote, the deciding vote, mm -hmm. was cast by none other than Garrett, who was the winner of the other semifinal match, and who will be playing the winner. So right. it was like Garrett kind of. Um, he it was like an ebay bid you know mm -hmm. he 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 held on to his vote right up until like 10 p.m and then cast his vote right at the end and it ended up that it was it was decided the tie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well so he just had to choose who he wanted to face in yeah the finals. i guess yeah yeah um so yeah so the last game has been put up mm -hmm. um 
And so it is Garrett's Fangorn mm-hmm. versus Father Justin's Angmar. There you go. That's right. Yeah, and I've already forgotten the name of the mission. Um, I yeah, don't recall I it, to be honest. Uh, but it was the only bracket that I hadn't picked a mission from yet, and it's the one where like reconnoiter and there's uh, it's three um, objectives, and, isn't it? Like one in the center. Yeah, and this two one was, has three objectives. Yeah. yeah. So which uh, his ants do would do very well against. Well, they can definitely hold one for sure because there's yeah. not very many of them. But That's true. We will see. We'll see what the people say. Mm-hmm. See what uh, how the votes go. That's right. But I'm actually doing the voting a little bit different this time. Um, just in talking with a few people that like uh, maybe don't have a chance to get to it on the weekend. So this time, and seeing as this is the last game, I'm gonna put the poll up on Thursday mm. night at 10 p.m. and let it run until Saturday at 10 p.m. So it'll be a good long. A good long stretch to let everybody have a chance okay. to get their vote in on the final the final game. The final game. And because this episode will come out after the voting is done, correct? Yes, it will, actually. Then yeah. we'll I'm the throwing after. in my vote now for Garrett. Golly gee, those Ents never win anything, and they're going to win this one for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, in, in terms of uh, his army, um, this will probably be the last tournament that he plays with the old Treebeard model. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's got the new plastic one. It's funny. Garrett gets the new Treebeard model. He's like, oh, I'm going to build this up. It's going to be beautiful. And then Chris gets the Treebeard model just sort of as like a fun thing. And then in yeah. like a day, he paints the whole thing Oh up. my God, what a gorgeous <laughs> model too. we got to get him to put pictures up on our oh, Facebook page. Just, just incredible. He's that using the new... The new Scale 75 contrast paints. Oh, is that what he used? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scale 75 came up with some contrast paints. And he said he liked them a lot uh, for a lot of the work that was done on the uh, Truebird. Oh, right on. Yeah. Right on. But yeah, he shared his pictures of his uh, tree beard in just our uh, our little group chat. And it's like, wow. It's oh, yeah. Amazing. amazing stuff. Yeah. Nothing close to what I could do. but. Oh, come on. Get out of here. You know that if you put in the effort, you could get there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe when I'm retired, that'll be a goal. When I'm retired, I'll learn how to paint better. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. How's that sound? Yeah, But yeah. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> You're the terrain All right, guy. Shall, shall we move on uh, down, the, down the road down to our uh, main topic? I think so. All right, let's do it. this segment of let's talk about we're going to talk about the mobile army type the mobile that's right and don why don't you introduce it for us all right so we all know what the mobile army is we all think of probably rohan when you think of mobile army i think that's kind of the the atypical example um generally you can have you can have some foot mobile armies but generally they're uh all mounted Mm -hmm. is is typically what you think of when you think of a mobile army Um, but certainly it's an army that has a movement speed of let's say eight or more i'd say eight being the minimum um 
and it's it's probably the quickest uh, army at at uh, getting board control. Yeah. Uh, however, possibly not the best army at holding on to objectives on the board. No, I, and I would I would say for be, because they they need the charge, they can't sit there and sort of lock them down, grind them up kind of fight. They need no. to be doing the hitting. They need to be doing the killing. And if they're not, they're going to lose the objective very quickly. Well, this this army is all about besides being mobile. It's all about two things. It's all about skirmishing and mm -hmm. it's all about charging because they're mounted models generally so mounted models when you're talking mounted models you're talking about the charge um yeah. and the but I would, say, I would say i would say a really bad uh, mobile army is an army that doesn't include shooting like i and from my own experience i i took the um i had sort of like a dark rohan-esque kind of army where i ran wargs for mordor and I ran the Dark Marshal with some Morgul Knights, and I had Wargs, uh, Orcs with um, Wargs, uh, but I didn't really have any shooting. Um, and let me tell you, it really hurt not being able to have that, that, that tool in your toolbox to be able to shoot when you need to, because if you can't, your opponent's just going to hinder you with terrain and, and sort of um, uh, funnel you, and your forces are just going to fall apart. No, exactly. Yeah, like I play a fair amount with war riders, and that's one of the things that makes them not the greatest at at being a, a really good mobile army is just that their shooting is just downright terrible. Yeah, agreed. Um, you have one more point here. Uh, repositions faster than you can react. So, like a mobile army can move to like a completely different part of the board really quickly and faster than the enemy can sort of redeploy. Exactly, and I think the other thing to think about here when we're talking about repositioning is not just um, like moving off from an objective. It could also be as they advance on you when they get that moment to advance, they could literally surround you so quickly that you can't react by um, repositioning your force and sort of creating a shield or a circular sort of shield wall to avoid them outflanking you. And, and mm -hmm. that coupled with March makes them like an obscenely fast force that you can't just assume is going to hit you in a, a very typical front uh, head on sort of uh, method. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like we're starting to drift into uh, strengths of this army. So let's just go for it. Um, like I say that like this army in one way, one of their strengths is, of course, they can have a devastating charge. And in that respect, they sort of share uh, quite a few similarities with a line breaker, which we talked yep. about. Like the line breaker, like the part of the list that is actually breaking lines is usually the mounted part. So mm -hmm. in a mobile army where you're looking, probably talking about almost an entirely mobile army, you're definitely going to have a component of that army, which is very similar to line breaker. Um, so mm -hmm. you can, with a mobile army, when you're ready to charge, you can like quickly break your opponent with this army. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think... The, the big difference there with the mobile army um, outside of the line breaker is that you can use your whole army to create this devastating charge effect, whereas the line breaker, it's only certain models that are doing it. And 
there's some trade-offs there. You know, there's some pros and cons. Like if you have this whole army charging in, all of a sudden probability shifts more in your favor because you're rolling more dice to do more kills. Um, you're not having to rely upon two or three models to do all the killing. Your whole army can do it because you're benefiting from the two biggest bonus bonuses uh, that Cav give, which is the bonus attack and the knockdown, right? But the con is that because you're relying upon your whole army to do the mass killing, if your opponent funnels you, you can only pull in a small subset of your force where, and this is where the line breaker uh, gets stronger because it's designed to hit a very small section of your army. Uh, so it doesn't care if it's funneled. Three heroes or four heroes is more than sufficient to sort of smash through the enemy lines, which is well. Something. That's the thing. Like with line breaker, you're you're generally talking about like a, a small group of heroes that are mounted, and yep. like uh, like that's your hammer, right? Whereas in in this army, the mobile army, you're you're dealing with your entire army. So there's a lot more uh, warrior models being used in the charge. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of the reasons why like this army is really focusing more on uh, like outflanking type maneuvers. Like you really wanna like try to outflank your opponent uh, and do so quickly. So you can still have them in a, a disadvantageous position mm -hmm. and you can charge them in the flank or, or even in the rear. And it it's, makes your warriors um, a little less vulnerable than just a head-on charge. Agreed. And, I mean, the other thing is that because your base sizes generally on a mobile army are bigger than, like, a standard shield wall, right? Because I think you're looking at the 40 mil bases instead of, like, the 28s or the, the 25s, whatever, the, the smaller bases. Um, you want to be able to outflank so you can, in some cases, so you can maximize the surface area of your charge to get the most amount of models in, um, if that's your particular strategy. Uh, and then, you know, with a, a going along with those sort of maneuvers, uh, having that maximum bow limit allows you to play hit and run games. Because there's mm -hmm. one thing a mobile army does so well, and that is because it's move 10 generally, you can move half and shoot, so I'm moving five inches and shooting, and my opponents generally move six inches, so I can almost always outmaneuver them or outkite them while still shooting. So I'm not losing too much of a, I'm not taking too much of a hit for that. Well, yeah, it's why, like, historically, it, it's the role of the horse archer, right? right. That's, that's what horse archers do. Um, they, what we call in, in current gameplay is kiting. It's like that's what horse archers in, in history were, were for. It's, it's a mobile artillery force. And in this game, it is, it's very strong. Um, and the thing with that is like you're, you're able to skirmish your, your opponent as long as you want in most games. Mm -hmm. And what that does for you is it allows you to control the tempo of the game like pretty well. You dictate the tempo right from the start right to the end. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of the reasons why when I take a non-mobile army, I must take max bow limit. Because if I don't, and I come across a mobile army, they dictate the entire course of the battle, of the game, and I'm at their mercy because I will never be able to catch them um, unless they make a really egregious mistake with standing still for too long. 
even with marching, you're still not going to catch them. So you need some ability to sort of like um, some honesty bows where you're just like able to put the shots down range, hit them, hopefully dehorse them and then move on. Um, yeah and like same with me like i generally play uh infantry armies like i don't generally play with cavalry up until now anyways mm -hmm. may may change in the future um but i also play with a lot of warriors like i i this game is about heroes so of course what do i do i play i i want to see if you can win with warriors and mm -hmm. so far haven't won after like a <laughs> million times trying but oh, you were close the uh, last event yeah the the thing with what you were saying here is like if you're going to be playing an, an army that doesn't have a lot of mobility if if you get caught without any archery uh in a situation like this it's it's horrible because yeah. in, in these situations the, your opponent will just kill your archers quickly and and then you're you're just like dead in the water pretty well let's move on though to uh weaknesses i think the strengths of this army are undeniable but what are the some of the weaknesses for for this mobile army oh i think the biggest weakness is if you lose the priority and you lose the inevitable heroic move off you are in so much trouble so you're talking about like after you charge into combat yeah, yeah. so after that first round of combat you charge in uh, most people will sort of bunch up, uh, hopefully to minimize the impact of the first charge. Uh, and then afterwards, you've got that, that priority roll. And you know that even if you win that priority roll, you're going to have your opponent call the heroic move because they can't have you constantly be charging them. And if you lose that heroic move off, they're going to tag your, your, your mobile elements, which is pretty much your whole army. And at that point in time, most cav, most infantry cav, or I would say infantry, but most warrior cav, have only one attack. And they rely upon the charge to give them that second attack. So if they catch you, more often than not, if you're a low defense, and I'm talking defense four, defense five, they'll kill you right out the gate. And if you're a high defense, they'll go for the horse. Because at that point, they've taken away your biggest strength, and then you're just a dude on, the, on foot without you know spear support yeah and and when that happens i mean the cavalry the cavalry force is still going to try to uh disengage probably in a situation like that so those people that get dismounted are just like immediately eliminated um yeah. and basically is this is like if 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 you choose to charge with this army uh and your charge fails well your your game is pretty well done yeah, like if you if you get some CDF or some critical dice failure on that initial charge across the table, whether that's winning fights and not killing or not even winning the fights, you are going to be struggling to win the game because you, you rely upon that initial hit to kill off enough models so that you can even up the model count disparity because most mo mobile army types have a much smaller model count than your opponents than all the other army types right yeah. um and there's one other thing about this army that it can that it does is that it consumes a lot of might because it's the heroes are crawling the heroic combats in some cases these heroes don't have uh, a lance or some plus wound modifier weapon so they'll be spending the might on the kills if they need to if they fail the, to kill models outside, outside of the original heroic combat they'll also be blowing might like crazy on heroic moves so this army consumes a lot of might so if you're someone who's taking this army 
you need to be very mindful that you have to bring way more might than if you were to take another army type and be ready to spend it and spend it freely. No, for sure. Um, also, um, not really the greatest on defending against spells either mm. um, and can be pretty vulnerable to like knockdowns. Um, all mounted army can mm -hmm. like a lot of the reason for that is just because you have a lot of warriors up front like if you if you start getting into your opponent's face well a lot of the models that you're going to be using are warriors and so they're not going to be able to like resist a cast mm -hmm. um, so you can you can see like sorceress blasts uh, or other spells of that nature uh, knocking down a lot of uh, cavalry or even like a hurl yeah. Like a hurl, a hurl against um, some of your cavalry is brutal because again, it's like it's dismounting models, which is which is horrible. Not only is it dismounting models, but you automatically count as rolling a one on your fallen rider roll. So, not only do you take the strength three hit from the hurl, but you also take another strength three hit for falling on your butt. And most defense five cav um, are going to die. Like two strength three hits on you is generally it's pretty good odds at killing you. Now, um, you know this is a weakness, but it's not anywhere near as bad as it was last edition. Last edition, you very rarely saw all cav armies because hurl and sorceress blast were devastating last edition. Oh, brutal compared yeah. to now, yeah. Yeah, compared to now, like, Sorceress Blast will knock down two models, tops. Literally, it will only ever knock down two models in per attack. So that's something that you can mitigate as long as it's not hitting your heroes who are mounted, you're good. Hurl, on the other hand, it has to be very carefully positioned so you can try to avoid it where possible. Uh, and even the, the D3 plus, what is it, D3 plus strength differential isn't going to create all a huge hurl like it used to. Like you could see some like nine or ten inch hurls, which would barrel down a dozen cav, and you'd be cooked at that point. Now you might see um, like a four or a six inch hurl, which, with the poor positioning that you can get now, you might knock down three or four. Yeah, it's still bad, but it's it's nowhere near like it was in the last edition. No, you're right. And I think the other thing to note is that um, the other real huge weakness uh, with the, um, the the mobile army type is terrain. This is the one army type where terrain is not your friend at all. And in fact, no. the more terrain on a table, the worse off you are because people will use terrain to funnel you and you're an army that does not want to be funneled ever no and like it's another reason why this army um we've talked about this before like cavalry and all mounted armies do tend to do fairly well and it's it's because of the old bowling ball planet thing mm -hmm. um you get into tournaments this is not a lot of terrain so for for an all mounted army it's like excellent not a lot of terrain to slow me down not a lot of terrain to slow you down, and I can hit your entire line at any time I want. I can move around you and not be impeded. All yeah. of my strengths are amplified. Yeah. Uh, is that it for weakness? I think so. Do you want to dive into building a mobile force? Let's do it. All Let's right. build a mobile force. Well, I think the it goes without saying that if you're mobile, if it's this mobile army type, your entire force should be mounted <laughs> or have the ability to move very fast. 
you know, we talked about those outliers, uh, like the alerts as scouts with Maher Marauder bonuses. You could easily get eight to 12 uh, inch moving guys, uh, infantry. So this is not saying that a lot of army types or a lot of armies can't do this uh, while being you know, not mounted. But generally speaking, you're playing with a mounted force and therefore everything should be mounted. And you really should be looking at a lot of mid-tier heroes. Um, these types of mobile armies focus on mass amounts of might. So mid-tier named heroes that are mounted ideally have the three might, ideally have the heroic strike, um, are yeah. huge. I mean, when you look at Rohan, you pretty much see all named heroes that are three might uh, and, and you know, mounted and have heroic strike. So there's such a plethora there. Uh, right. And, you also yeah. want to probably maximize your bow limit with this army as well. Yeah. Like we've talked earlier on about uh, skirmishing and shooting. And, and just to give you the flexibility to have the option to just hang back and shoot for as long as you, you want, um, taking your max bow limit is, is an important consideration here. Mm -hmm. And this can include, I don't know about taking maximum of this, but like yeah. if you can take throwing spears, um, you definitely want to take some throwing spears as well. Uh, I don't know about maxing out throwing spears because it gets expensive, but... I, I think getting a good handful, um, especially on those key models, and, and you know what? Having them on... Your goal is really to get those throwing spears on the models that have the best shoot value, right? Because even if that means that... Even if that's a hero, that's fine because... You get those throwing spears, you can launch them into your enemy as you charge in, and you get those free kills. Because even if you kill two or three models over the course of a game with throwing spears, that pays back all the points you spent on it. Yeah, and it's it's just there's just something about it. It's so glorious when you when you charge in and, yeah. and get a get a kill with a throwing weapon. It's just like yes. Oh, your dwarf <laughs> rangers love that. Oh yeah, yeah. And with a mounted model, it's so much better though because you, you're going to have probably a lot more movement to, you know, switch targets after you kill the one with the throwing spear. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you almost always, you know, talking about moving, uh, you almost always want to have a hero in your force that has march. And that may mean an unnamed captain with march, or if you're lucky, an unnamed hero with march. And this is super important because. This army type is weak against shooting forces. Now, not as weak as others, but it's weak in that getting shot at a lot is not something you want to have happen because you get dismounted very easily, right? So having that march is critical because you can generally bunch up around the hero with march and heroic march with cav gives you a five inch instead of three inches extra movement. So you can be moving 15 inches across the board turn one, which means two marches and you're essentially in your depo opponent's deployment zone, T2, ready to go for a charge uh, on a turn three or potentially ready to go for a charge on turn two without needing the second march. Yeah, and that, that kind of thing too is just so so helpful in so many missions, uh, especially in, um, uh, oh, I've suddenly forgot the name, the one where you can deploy anywhere on the battlefield at random. Um, Maelstrom deployment? Maelstrom. Maelstrom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like if you get in a Maelstrom deployment, um, you throw one march down and your whole army is back together. You yeah. Know? And it's so huge. Absolutely. No. It, your, your last point here, you've got cheap mounted spell caster uh, is also a plus for evil. So explain that. What, what do you mean so, by that? 
when you're bringing a mobile force for evil, and there are some evil armies that have the ability to be mobile, Harad comes to mind. Having that cheap mounted spellcaster is a plus because you get a lot of these benefits um, uh, of that you know the hybrid armies get for having these types of spellcasters. It allows you to throw out some transfixes so you can stop those really annoying uh, enemy heroes. Uh, it also allows you to throw out a cheeky compel um, so that you can pull models off the line. It could set up some interesting heroic combats with a bunch of your cav models. You can maybe even black dart an enemy's uh, mounted model so that all of a sudden your mounted heroes have an advantage on their dismounted heroes. So there's so many different advantages that having a cheap spellcaster can bring to the table. Now I'm not talking about a wizard because your mounted, your mobile force is pretty expensive to begin with because your warriors are expensive, right? So a wizard at 170, 180 points is, is a hard thing to stomach at anything below 800 points, right? Because you'll be losing out on so much more. But well, you mentioned the you mentioned the ring wraith, yeah. Um, and I'll just say this: like we we've all talked about um, like you know your your standard leapfrog tactic, right? Mm -hmm. Where you you compel a guy in and you you charge, you heroic combat off of that guy, and then you charge into something else. Well, when you're dealing with an all mounted force, the amount of distance that you can cover with that strategy is just huge. Like you can you can just cross the board almost with that strategy with one with one compel and one heroic combat. Um, you can really uh, exploit a, a bad deployment, let's say, uh, of your opponent just really quickly. Yeah. The other thing that it allows you to do is uh, some people they put their heroes on the battle line, especially as lines are starting to come closer and closer, and they do this because they're preparing for their hero to be in combat. Now, if you can compel them out two and a half inches, maybe three inches out from their own battle line, what that lets you do is it allows you to get the charge on them and potentially kill them before your battle, your lines have sort of clashed, which is mm -hmm. huge. Um, and you don't even need to do the, the damage with heroes. You could do a channeled compel, which then allows you to charge warriors in and they could get the kill, especially if they're armed with axes. There's so much stuff you can do here. You could even, if your enemy has their, their heroes behind their battle lines, you could compel them backwards away from their line and then charge in. And then all of a sudden, their hero is so out of position, they can't get back into that, 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 that swirling melee um, for at least two or three more turns, right? So yeah. that cheap spellcaster, either the 271 on a horse, and I'm talking about a ring wraith, a two might, seven will, one fate, on a horse, which is dirt cheap, in um, a mobile force is such a huge force multiplier. Well, it, it allows you even to um, just have a go at it. You know, you're going to be like, oh, he's left his hero there. The very first thing I'm going to do in my turn is I'm going to try this compel and see if it works. If it doesn't mm -hmm. work, yeah, well, no harm, no foul. If it works, you can charge in, heroic combat, kill that guy, and retreat if you want. You don't yep. even have to, like, pile in. You can just, like, exploit that, like, pull the hero forward, charge in, kill that hero, retreat backwards and you're still out of their charge range. Yep. I mean, it's so flexible, that move. Yep. But anyway, now that we've spent the last five minutes talking about strategies, let's move on to strategies. <laughs> now on to strategies. 
I mean, we talked about it for the last five minutes, but still. Um, but that one, was really building your mobile force, not strategies. Exactly. We're giving you teasers, giving you freebies there. <laughs> <laughs> so I Let's think go the, with that. Exactly. I think the biggest strategy, though, uh, for the mobile force is knowing how many of your models to charge and at what period in time. And when I, and I'm referring to this, when I say this, I'm talking about the concept of charge and waves. Do not charge. You do it like you do it like Palinor Field. You have six thousand models all charge all at the same time. Oh, That's how you do it, right? Genius, genius. And then the Mumax run you over. You have no reserves to defend yourself. Got it. Uh, so, more often than not, you're not going to get all your models to charge all at once. And also, it may not be advantageous to charge all your models all at once. If you don't think you can break your opponent entirely, decimate their forces, don't. Because what you're doing is you're spreading your very thin battle line out even thinner and allowing your opponent to start poking holes in it in subsequent turns and allowing them to come back. So charging in waves is this concept of you pick a point, either ideally a flank, you slam into it with um, maybe a third to a half your force and you prepare yourself to lose that priority. And then when your opponent swarms you, you have this other section of your force ready to go to countercharge. So all of a sudden your opponent's saying, I'll swarm your mounted models, but if I if I swarm too them if I swarm them too much, he'll start picking off my guys um, with his second wave, and then I'm in even worse trouble than I was previously. So Yeah, because they, they think they're like because that's how you do that's how you defeat cavalry. You charge yeah. cavalry. So, like, if your opponent wins priority and they think, "Oh, great! I'm, I'm, I've won priority. I'm going to charge all these cav models that have been attacking me, and I'm going to mm -hmm. take them down." Yeah. But in a sense, it's almost a trap because your second wave is ready to countercharge all those models that your enemy has just committed, and they're just going to get hit by more cavalry again. Exactly. And the beauty is, if you win the heroic move off, your front section which moves totally independent from your back section, your front section will charge, right? And then your back section is just waiting after the heroic move off is done to let your opponent counter charge. And this is if you don't have priority for the second round. And then you get that beautiful double charge where you're overlapping your models. And that second charge, when it goes off in your favor, it's really, really hard for your opponent to recover from that. Those two one-two yeah. hits. Well, we've talked about that before. I think we had talked about it in the line breaker. Mm -hmm. Usually with a cavalry force, whether you're heroes or not, if you can if you can get off two charges in two consecutive turns, it's usually a one game at that point. Pretty much, yeah. And we you know I, I just talked about it. Uh, another obvious strategy is never, ever, ever charge when it's not or when it, when it's your priority. Just don't do it. You never charge when it's your priority because you allow your opponent to counterattack you. Okay, always charge when it's not your priority because your opponent can't move to react to your situation. So if it's your priority and you keep getting those priority rolls going in your favor, use it by continuing your skirmish game, or use it to start outflanking your opponent to force them to start moving their very cumbersome battle line to react to you. 
Yeah, because a lot of players also, um, even if they're not playing with a mobile force, like a lot of players will take a some cavalry. And if if you're charging when you've won priority and you're committing, um, it allows the opponent to decide where they can bring in their few cavalry models to eliminate your cavalry charge and possibly like isolate a hero or another important model Mm -hmm. in, in your in your army. Now, it's interesting you talk about isolating heroes. This is the other thing about a mobile force you want to avoid. You don't want to leave your heroes extended so that they can be swarmed by enemy infantry or enemy heroes that are typically better than them. Because remember, your goal with with a cav force is to bring in those mid-tier heroes. Okay, Mid-tier heroes do not do well against top-tier heroes. They really, really don't. So you want to have... You want to insulate your, your heroes with warrior models. And this, big caveat on this, do this when your opponent does not have magic. Okay, if your opponent has magic, you got to be very careful about your positioning of your warrior models so they don't get flung into your hero and dismount both of you. Okay? Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, because you your, your mounted models have a banner, banners are so huge in a mobile army. It is so critical to have that extra dice in the dual roll to win the fight. Because when you win that fight, you get so many benefits from the knockdown the doubling of attacks, all that stuff. So you want to have your banners nearby those key heroes that you're expecting to pull a little bit more weight than your warriors. Yeah, like what you mentioned talking about magic, like when you have um, a lot of mounted warriors flying around, um, it, it they can be a big liability if your opponent has a wizard with uh, sorcerer's mm-hmm. blast because that's immediately what they target. They'll move their wizard to line up one of your heroes, like right in front of, or one of your warriors rather, right in front of one of your heroes because they can't resist it, mm-hmm. right? And then they just become a flying body at that point. Pretty much. Now, now here's a here's a here's a counter to that. So you have your two cav warrior uh, models that have charged close to you know your your hero right what you do is you throw two more cav warrior models up against those two models right so you've got um two models two cav warrior models in base-to-base contact almost in base-to-base contact and the goal here is if you your 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 opponent's wizard sorceress blasts the dude beside your hero he's gonna hit the guy behind him not your hero because the guy behind him is right on top of him and so and then it stops the sorcerer's blast and it stops the sorcerer's blast cold you get two of your warrior models dismounted no biggie it sucks but guess what you now no longer have two you no longer have your hero dismounted which is a much bigger problem mm-hmm. right uh and we we talked about tempo right tempo isn't all about plowing into combat as fast as possible take your time tempo is about deciding when the right time is to charge and i guarantee you it's almost never five minutes into a game yeah take timing the charge is probably the most important thing yeah. uh, important consideration for this type of army agreed and that's why you bring those bows right so that allows you to play the skirmish game to do your shooting to move into position to get those really choice um, charges that you desperately want. And if you're not lining up for it, take your time, you know, um, especially if your opponent hasn't brought uh, honesty bows to, or bows in general just to sort of to, to force you to, to close the gap fast. Um, yeah. Take your time. And it allows you also, like with your shooting, to 
to go after the priority targets, to go after the targets that are going to be a problem for you when you decide to charge. Like not only are you trying to just get some uh, some cheeky kills, but you're like looking, oh, he's got a few cav. I want to eliminate those cav before mm-hmm. I start like charging into combat. Um, and other targets like that, that, you know, or ones are going to cause you problems once you get into combat. Yeah, I mean dismounting your opponent's heroes does two things one it allows you to still get your charge bonuses when you charge them that's big and that in some cases can make a tier two hero go toe to toe with a tier one hero on the charge two it also allows you to to dismount an enemy hero and then keep that six inch bubble right where you get your your first charge into combat and you're so far away from your opponent's tier one heroes, your big heroes, that they can't charge you until the second or even the third turn. So you can play that hit and run even in combat to avoid letting your big heroes uh, hit you hard. Well, a lot of time, the only mounted counter that your opponent will have to throw at you is is mounted heroes because like that's what a lot of players do they take an entirely foot army but like then they'll have several heroes that are all mounted Mm -hmm. and and that's the that's the entirety of their mounted contingent so if you you can take away their horses you're you're removing their counter charge uh and also dismounting their heroes so it's it's a win-win it's a big win-win when we talk about tempo uh, i know how the mobile army sort of controls tempo the most um, the, the perfect example of this is when it comes to flank charging, right? And I'm not just talking about hitting one flank, which is the most sort of the basic of the, the actual strategies. I'm talking about like the double flank charge, right? Where you split your force in half, you outmaneuver your opponent, and you, you hit both flanks at the same time. What this does is it forces your opponent to concede board control to be able to defend against it because they have to sort of condense their their line into like a, a you know maybe a concave or a, or even a circular shield wall in preparation for this so that they can respond to it in subsequent turns and if you, and if you're fast enough to get to there before they can do that you really can reap some rewards because if their line is extended they have to dedicate resources to one side or the other but not both yeah, and like just the fact that they have to prepare to receive two charges, um, it, it's not only mentally is a lot to try to deal with, but you also end up um, sort of undermining what you're trying to do a lot of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to go along with that sort of as like the next level tactic, I think the, the, the feigned flank charge, right? So if you're gonna line up to hit both flanks at the same time, your opponent's setting up for that, uh, that double charge, and all of a sudden you just charge one side and not the other, right? So you charge the weaker side and not the stronger side. And then you force your opponent into this conundrum where they are ready for the charge, they've only been hit on one side, now it's the second turn and they're trying to say to themselves, what do I do? Right? Do I do I try to run out and attack the second unit, uh, the second cav uh, portion of my opponent's army? Because um, I'm going to be outside of that six inches, so I won't be able to do it. Or do I just sort of dedicate myself to hitting the, the side, uh, the cav side that charged me and let myself be open to the other uh, portion of the, my opponent's army to charge me in the rear? So it really sort of forces them to make a tough decision. 
Yeah, just in regards to the feigned charge, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. I think the like you know aside from just the brute force of being mounted and the knockdown and extra attacks and all of that, I think one of the things that's like such a strong thing about having cavalry. Um, is just the 10 inch move and the fact that you know if you're facing off against an infantry force that has a six inch move it almost like it has the tendency to freeze them because a lot of the time you position yourself so that you're within your 10 inch charge but not within their six inch charge mm -hmm. so they can't really affect you but you can affect them anytime you want. Anytime you want, you can charge, yep. right? And it sort of freezes them in spot. It makes them think defensively. And you may have no intention of charging there, but you know they still sort of prepare for to receive a charge. Yep. They, they prepare to receive that charge or what they might do, they might do something crazy, like try to march out and like overwhelm you and hope for a, a first turn, um, uh, winning the priority or the heroic move off. Uh, but it forces them to start making risky decisions that could backfire. Going along with the idea of the feigned flank and the flank charges and the double flank and all that kind of stuff is this idea of rapid redeployment, right? The, the goal here is to make your opponent think you're going to do one thing, then rapidly redeploy, and their slower, more cumbersome battle lines struggle to sort of adjust. And then all of a sudden they have to do very you know, herky-jerky kind of strategies, like create an L-shape with their battle line, which throws certain models out of position. And they're, you're, they're creating opportunities um, for you to charge kinks or um, like weak points in their battle line uh, or yeah, and um, to pretty much destroy them. And so the ability to rapidly redeploy, which may be further... Um, uh, helped with a unnamed hero with march or a named hero with march um, can be huge because like, you could roll up on them be 6.01 inches away they're expecting a charge next turn you march 15 inches and all of a sudden you're on both their flanks and they're just saying to themselves oh boy what do i do now yeah and that kind of thing it's like again like you may have no intention of charging but it, it almost forces them to like bubble up you know and it it in a game that you need board control, it, mm -hmm. it's brutal for the defender because they're like, cavalry in this game are so strong that you have to like really focus on defending against a charge if it's if you're being threatened with one. And it puts you so much on your back heel that in a, in a mission, like in an objective type game, it really is a huge disadvantage because you have to play so defensively. Mm -hmm. You you really do, and well, I mean, this is what really sets the mobile army type um, apart from linebreaker because linebreaker there's elements of this force which are super strong at breaking shield walls, and battle lines, but the problem is they are desperate to use their slower moving um, warrior elements, which are almost always infantry to protect them because if they overextend themselves they get destroyed that doesn't exist with a mobile army type everything moves no. fast so they're able to pounce on you so quickly yeah it's the difference between like um like a roundhouse like punch to the face versus like a a jab you know a jab mm -hmm. jab and weave kind of strategy 
Very much so. It's the jab and weave versus just being trampled by like 40 calf. (laughs) (laughs) All right, do you want to move on to some rock, paper, scissors? All right, let's do it. And let's jump into shield wall, right? So we've already talked about a lot of these things, so we're sort of just going to push through them fairly quickly. So this is mobile versus shield wall. That's right, mobile versus shield wall. So as a mobile force, that you have a, you have a strong counter to this army type, right? Because they're they're big defensive um, bonuses. Your cav run over that with a knockdown. So you have your strong counter to them. Position to hit the flanks. Soften up the battle line if you can with some shooting ahead of time. And again, do those 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 flanks, the charge and wave strategies, and you will crumple a shield wall fairly quickly, and you will very much knock it out of any sort of board control to allow you to control the objective game. Yeah, that's kind of the standstill army, and you're the move fast army, so it's yeah. a perfect combo. Exactly. What about Horde? Ooh, Horde. Now, this one's different. You can't spread out for Horde because they already spread out more than you do. So you got to keep together on this one. Clump up, and this is where you got to leverage that shooting to soften up your opponent because they're going to be three or four times your, your value in models generally. Um, and this is one where you definitely want to charge in waves because you do not want to be overwhelmed. You want to hit them once in a very specific spot. Um, you do not want to spread your battle line out as much as, you, as much as possible. You want to keep it short. And if you need to, rapidly redeploy. And what I mean by that is shoot a whole bunch on the right flank as he rolls in, rapidly redeploy to the left flank, and his slow army will have a really hard time keeping up. Yeah. Um, so line breaker is another one where we talked about this one where there's generally speaking, there's like a, a bunch of mounted heroes, some mid tier heroes, maybe a couple bigger heroes. And when you're playing that army, it's all about sort of controlling those heroes and going after the other stuff. You know, you want to try to dismount those heroes as much as possible. Um, you know, feed your uh, warrior units to to those line breaker elements um, just to keep them busy. And you go after all the other, other parts of their army. Um, whatever else they have, you kill that stuff and just try to mitigate what the the line breaker element of their army can do yeah like your goal here is to break your opponent before they break you that's it so your heroes should be totally focused on chomping through infantry and you just sacrifice your warriors as needed um to chew up the, the their line breaker elements yeah, because Linebreaker, it's not usually just those heroes on, on mounts. They usually take some uh, like foot troops to hold objectives or a little bit of archery or whatever. Exactly. Token token units. Token units, that's right. Now with the Leaf Blower, though, this is one where it's going to require a little bit of thought ahead of time. You're going to see how they pl- spread out their army. If they've cut their army in half and spread it into two forces... You want to look at the mission, figure out where most of the VPs are, and just throw everything at that spot. But if they've clumped their force up, your goal is one thing. Get to them as quickly as you can. That means heroic marching and close the gap fast. You do not win a shooting war against this force. Even if your army has 100% bows, like let's say we took a Rohan army, um, you will not beat a 100% shooting force. They're designed to knock you out in shooting. So heroic march fast, forget the shooting, and throw your warriors in front of your heroes to try to avoid getting those hero dismounts. You don't want your heroes dismounted before you get into combat. Right. 
Uh, is it the last one? No, second last one, second mobile. Last one, yeah. So mobile versus mobile. Um, kind of as in all of these uh, match mirror matchups, it's, it's kind of a cat and mouse kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this is like two armies employing the same strategy. So, of course, a lot of this comes down to, to the mission. Um, you know, if you've got shooting and they don't, well, you got to try to exploit that advantage. Um, and this is one, like this is a chess game. So you need to try to be thinking further ahead than your opponent is like, think two moves ahead, you know? Um, and you really have to leverage your warriors here because they'll become a very important part of your win when it happens. Agreed. You know, um, we talk about the, the shooting component. This one is key because your goal here is not to shoot at their heroes. Your goal is to shoot out as many horses as you possibly can. You don't care about yeah. warrior kills or hero kills. You care about dismounting. Because when you dismount them, they're just a slow-moving force and they're a weaker shield wall at that point that you can easily take advantage of. And your warriors are key because it's going to come down quite heavily to the warriors. And if, you know, when you have those two lines clash eventually, it's the quality of the warriors that comes through because you're not going to get your plus attack bonus for charging and you're not going to get the knockdowns. So winning those fights is going to come down to fight value. If you've got extra attacks, more banners, that kind of thing. Probably one of the most complicated is is when you're fighting against the combined army because this is the one where you're you know potentially uh, you've potentially got like a wizard with sorceress blast. You may have like blinding light. Um, you've got uh, they've got shooting. They've got a big hero. Um, what are, what do you got to do against this? type army so here. yeah this army is really well suited to deal with yours because combined arms forces are really good at dealing with model count armies that are equal to or less than them right because that's when all their tricks sort of come into play and your goal here is if they have a lot of shooting with a blinding light don't try the shooting more just go straight at them split your force up surround them if you can because they're gonna again they're probably gonna be equal model count to you or slightly more but they're gonna be hunkered down in one spot because if they're using blinding light, like we talked about in the leaf blower segment, blinding light is a double-edged sword. Yes, it's amazing in shooting versus shooting, but what blinding light also does is it tells me that you, my opponent's army is gonna be clumped to maximize blinding light, and two, it's also going to be um, not moving or moving very slowly because it wants to leverage that. And so that's gonna allow me to, um, in some cases, move you know, five inches and shoot. But if they have more shooting than you, just rush in, flank them, okay? And then your goal here is to minimize the chances for a sorceress blast hit on your hero. You want to force your opponent to sorceress blast the hero and have him to burn through their will. Okay, and um, you know we talked about this. We talked about how if that if you're so worried about your heroes, keep them further back from your battle line, or maybe clump up one or two heroes, one or two warriors, so that um, that are near your your hero, so that they collide with one another when the sorceress blast goes off, forcing the warriors to be dismounted, not the hero. Yeah, we mentioned before too that you want to you want to charge when you 
don't have priority, but there's an example in this con in this uh, matchup where you actually do want to charge when you don't have priority. And we talked about surrounding is like if you can get a charge off against their wizard, throw a guy at their wizard, yep. right? If if you have priority, because it, that that prevents him from casting spells pretty well that turn. Um, so it, it, when you're at risk of having a hero get knocked down by a sorcerer's blast, it's well worth the the sacrifice of of uh, one of your warriors to stop that from happening for like a, a key turn. Mm -hmm. The the other thing I would say is if you can charge one of your warriors in on your priority against their tier one hero to lock them down to prevent that board control, do it. Okay, you you know your guy's gonna die. And the odds of the opponent calling a hero combat are probably high, but it doesn't matter. The goal is to prevent your, your your opponent's tier one heroes, which is generally a combined arms force has a tier one hero and a wizard, generally speaking. Um, you want them to move as, as, as the least amount possible. And if they kill five or six year cabinet in a game, who cares? They never made their points back and you've probably massacred your opponent by that point. On to the examples. Now, We've got five examples here today, and we will have two notable mentions at the very end, which we'll talk about very briefly, but... Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions, that's right. Uh, now, Don, who is our first example? Well, I think the sort of the epitome of this army is Rohan. Um, it's often considered the best mobile army. Um, you know, we've talked about how good their legendary legion is. Uh, and let's face it, everybody's playing that as opposed to the, the core army. Um, the thing that makes them so good is just they have so many mid-tier three might heroes, which works so well with uh, this list or with the line breaker list. Um, they get really good charge bonuses, uh, like Theoden has really good bonuses. Oh my they have like three or four types of mounted warriors that they can choose from in their list. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have a lot of shooting. So they, they're sort of the perfect army build for a mobile army. Yeah, no, and they... You know, when we talk about those mid-tier heroes, you're talking about Theoden, you're talking about Aemir, you're talking about gambling with that stupid banner that they finally nerfed a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're talking about uh, Durnhelm. There's just so many heroes to, na to name. All of them are named, and all of them have three might, right? And so, you know, we also talk about the shooting component. Now, here's an interesting trade-off that Rohan gets that pretty much no one else does, is they get either... Um, the regular Riders of Rohan, you know, they've got the Fight 3 and they've got a bow, which is great. But then they can also throw in the Rohan Royal Guard, which are Fight 4, become Fight 5 on the charge. And they can take the Throwing Spear, so again, they've still got that shooting game. And they also have Bodyguard. So all of a sudden, you can avoid those fearless, those terror situations by having a Rohan Royal Guard line, right? And so they just have so much flexibility and so many options to build their force around. And those, again, as we talked about, the Legendary Legions are just ridiculous. It's really the one, one of the armies that's actually really meant to play this build. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Now, the other one um, that has seen a bit of a tweaking since, um, I would say, since edition changes is the Rivendell Knight build. Uh, and in this one, it, the Rivendell Knights, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, my memory only goes back so far. Um, previously, uh, you could take a Rivendell Knight army where everything in it, uh, regardless of Warband Leader, um, 
you know, you can have 100% bow limit, you can have 20, 30 knights if you wanted to with multiple leaders. And, you know, they've tweaked that now. So the only way you can sort of pull this sort of force off is with Elrond, right? And he's a hero of legends, so you can still get 18 Rivendell knights. But here's what I will say about this force. It has the strongest mobile shooting in the game. Strength 3 bows, 3 plus to hit, okay? Couple that with the, the Rivendell army bonus, okay? And if you want to play with Kyrdan, again, I know he's a, he's a static model and it's kind of an oddity in a, a mobile army. But what Kyrdan does is he gives you that blinding light, he gives you that terror, he allows you to play the, the, the stationary game with the army bonus and allow 10 to 15 Rivendell Knights to punch way above their weight in shooting. And then when you have the Rivendell Knights do that charge, they're some of the best cav. They are the best cav in the game. Fight five, elven blades, lances, um, with the banners backing them up. It's really strong. You've got Elrond with the tier one hero, the, with the wrath of Bruinen, uh, and his gift of foresight. There's just so many bonuses and synergies and all this stuff going along with this force. It, it may look smaller than most mobile forces, but it punches well above its weight. Yeah, it it can be a very frustrating army to play against because, like you said, the shooting is so effective. You can't, you just can't stand there and take it indefinitely. It's just too effective. But then when you approach the army, they just run away from you and shoot at you from a different spot. This is infuriating. Yep. And then as they get, the problem is as the army gets bigger and bigger in a points value, you can start throwing another heroes. Like all of a sudden, you may have Kirdan and, and Elrond. Or at high, really high points levels, you could have Gilgalad, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm running multiple tier one heroes in this force, and it's like, I can do everything, right? Yeah, well, so, usually you'll see the twins before. Yeah, before that's right. The, the twins are stuff, biggie, but, um, just because yeah. of their, their might and all of that wonderful stuff. Now, what about you? What do you think? Is there any evil armies out there that could throw together a mobile force? Well, one that I added to your list here was the Variags of Cond. That's right. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, not an army that we actually see over here. No. Um, it, I, like, I don't think I've ever played a game against this army. However, I do happen to know that there are at least two people working on that. So if we ever mm. do get back to the tables over here, we probably will see this. Um, this army here, and it, it's a strong one. Um, I've I've uh, heard podcasts talk about it. I've seen videos on it about how good it is, um, and a lot of it comes down to the chariots. Yep. Uh, chariots for the heroes, uh, and they have a troop which is a chariot and quite cheap as well. Oh my god! Yes. Um, so it's in a really good unit. This is another army as well that can be 100% bows. Yeah. Again, it's unit specific, mm -hmm. um, but you can you can bring an all-mounted, all 100% bow army um, to the field, which is such a good build for a mobile army. It's, it's crazy. Um, and just the bonus that the Candish King gives, is a six inch banner effect and being on like a multi-wound hero it's very difficult to get rid of it it's a really strong rule yeah agreed i mean this army really boils down to chariots and impact hits right and because impact hits don't count as charging you can couple this with march and all of a sudden their threat range is 15 inches and all of a sudden 
when they come up against those mobile armies, they can out-threat range them. And uh, the beauty about impact hits in a, in a mirror match of mobile versus mobile is it hits both horse and rider. And so all of a sudden, you're doing <laughs> yeah. multiple hits to both horse and rider, and you're dismounting people left and right. And their warrior, their, their chariot warrior is only 25 points, right? So, and yes, a good shot um, will kill it, right? Because it's only a one moon warrior that says, I think, defense four, defense five. Um, and the, the shooting at them is pretty much your best game at killing them. But the difference is you can bring four of them for, you know, 100 points. You can bring a couple of Kandish kings, maybe some princes, and then you can bring some skirmishing mounted warriors with bows, and everything has bows, so you can play that shooting game, and then you have this like six chariot build, like the four warriors uh, chariots and the two Kandish kings, just plow in, and all of a sudden you're just, in a good roll, you're, you're mowing down infantry left and right. Yeah, we talked about, not to go on too long about this, but we talked about this concept when we were talking about the leaf blower army where you're doing a lot of shooting and therefore you're killing stuff without having to contest your opponent in a dual role. Huh. It's the same thing with in- impact hits. Impact mm-hmm. hits, are it's, it's basically just free dice. You know, you're, you're getting free dice to try to kill your opponent without even having to risk a dual role. Yeah. It's so strong. It is ridiculously strong, and it was one of the reasons why I cringe when I see a Mamak across the table from me, oh. because I have been on the receiving end of a really bad trample, and you'll lose 10 guys in a shot, and it's like, I had no way of contesting that in that particular situation. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, another list from Evil the, um, that we don't see, but for me, it's just, you know, as I was flipping through the army books, um, I see this as sort of a conceptually interesting idea. Um, and that is a Harad all-mounted list. And we're talking about, um, you know, we've got some solid heroes here from Suladan and the Betrayer. Suladan bringing your six-inch banner, or is it three inches? I don't recall. Um, but he's a hero with a banner. You've got the Betrayer with the poison synergies. And then you've got two really strong mounted options. You've got the Haradrim Raiders, who are fairly cheap, uh, and they bring shooting to the table, right? Because you can have that 50% bow limit with Harad, and those shots are poison weapons, okay? Which combine very beautifully with the Betrayer for the rerolls to wound. So again, they're hitting sort of above their weight class. And then you have the other half of them would be the Serpent Guard, right? And the Serpent Guard are your fight for, they charge into combat, they've got the poison lances, and again, because of the Betrayer, all of a sudden those lances are now re-rolling wounds. And a re-rolling wound lance is ridiculously strong, okay? So, while they don't have the resilience, because they're all defense four, they do have the ability to shoot above their weight class, um, do damage above their weight class on the charge because of the Serpent Guard with the Betrayer sort of giving them bonuses. And then this army type sort of takes it to the next level by being able to ally in with Mahud. Uh, and they can bring the Mahud heroes, like the Mahud King, who's extremely strong for his point level. And you also get the Camel uh, Riders. And what they do is they bring impact hits. And all of a sudden, you've got this force that has just so many different little elements to it. It's got some strong shooting. Uh, it's got some good shooting, cost-efficient shooting. It's got some strong hitting power from the Serpent Guard. And it's got these impact hits from the Camel Riders. All the tricks. All, all the, tricks. the tricks, that's right. 
All right. What about Azog's Hunters? Yeah, Azog's um, Hunters is um, is an interesting one. I wouldn't say it's top tier, but it's one to sort of make note of. Again, and, it's it's an army that's kind of uh, intended to be built as a mobile army, or at least one of its possible builds. Yes, I would um, agree. There. You do. You generally do see a lot of uh, foot troops in an Azog's hunters list mm -hmm. but you certainly don't have to see that you can you can certainly see an all mounted list for this army um and they also have uh an increased bow limit which which adds some flexibility to that army oh. um uh, you get the fell wargs and they have the ability to charge without line of sight uh, and they have some big tier one heroes and some decent mid-tier heroes they've got all the tools really yeah now we'll say this about this list. Um, this is a really, like if you're gonna go with the pure mobile element, I think immediately you probably wanna take Bulg, obviously. And that's because Bulg's black arrows, his Morgul arrows are so strong. Because once you have 50% of your force with bows, the, the Morgul arrows allow you to shoot at heroes and threaten them because if they take a wound, you can then roll every dice every turn, and on a one, they just keep taking more wounds until they die. And so there's really this, this disinterest in allowing them to take wounds, because a lot of people, if they take a wound on their hero, if it's not giving VPs, they'll just let the wound go through, and they'll save their fate for when they get down to one wound. In this particular case, you probably want to avoid that, because you don't want to get tagged with a Morgul arrow. The other beautiful thing about this list is, even if they're dismounted, their warriors are still two attacks at strength four. That is really strong. Um, and you know, lastly, we talked about the increased bow limit. 50% bows at four plus to shoot. They, that's pretty decent shooting. I mean, it, it, it's much better than most, ever, most other evil armies. Especially when like you're you're talking about a strength two bow, but like for this army, probably one of the things that you want to shoot out is horses and their defense four. So you're still only looking at a five to wound. So yeah. they're really still quite good at that. Agreed. Now, do you want to jump into our honorable mentions? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we got two honorable mentions. Uh, the first one is Lurtz's Scouts. So it's not a mounted army at all. Um, but because of the increased movement of, of uh, eight inches and, and all of the different things that you can do to like march and take a drum. Of course, you have to take Mahur in order to get your, your eight inches, but it's kind of he's a given that everybody's yeah. going to. Yeah, he's an auto include. <laughs> um, these guys can really hustle around the battlefield, even though they're on foot. Um, and they have the ability to to focus on shooting as well because mm -hmm. they have the Urukai bow. They got decent, yeah. like four plus to hit, three strength three bow. Real strong. Um, you know, the, their their big disadvantage is their lack of uh, spear support, and they also don't have cav. Yeah. But they come with the Urukai scout, which is a very, very solid warrior model, both mm -hmm. for points and fight for strength for. Uh, it's, it's a really effective army, and I think we're going to see quite a bit of this army going forward. I know Garrett's building it. And, yeah, um, this is one of these armies that can can shoot five and a half inches per turn on the move because of the eight inch move and a three inch drum, right? And that almost allows them to outpace 
infantry. If they want to really outpace infantry, they can also just call a march, because almost every one of these heroes in this list has march, right? So this is a really strong list uh, for movement. Like, it controls the board as well, if not better, than Cav. But as you said, you know, it's got no cat, it's got no spear support, um, and its ways of dealing with big heroes is more of evasion than sort of confrontation. And let's jump into the last list, as the Honorable mentioned, and, and we're talking about the dark denizens of Mirkwood. And now we're talking about spiders. Spiders and bats and the giant spider, right? Now the beauty about this list is that it has that 10-inch move, like, you, like we had before with the calf, but it's immune to terrain, essentially, right? It just goes through forests, it goes over rocks, goes over everything, essentially. And it brings some surprising utility to the table, right? You've got your bat swarms that pretty much have fight value, so you can get those nice character assassinations when it's well played off, or you can run the Mirkwood Spiders to do the Paralyze, right? And because Paralyze is now a throwing weapon at eight inches, um, you can move your full distance and shoot, or you can charge into something and shoot. Um, so having a couple of those around really can uh, play havoc on certain models, you know, especially heroes, you can start peeling off fate, potentially, or even against monsters, right? Like an enemy monster, you tag it with a paralyze, it's on the ground automatically, especially if it has no fate. Um, the Spider Queen herself packs a lot of punch. Um, she's a pretty fragile, you know, defense four and three wounds and one fate but she's still strength six. She's got the rerolls to wound. Um, she's got the pounce, the monstrous charge, all these goodies. And she also can play some interesting shenanigans with her brood swarms that she can sort of spit out from her. By well, I mean, she, she's capable of killing a big hero on a single charge. Oh yeah. It's I, as simple as that. Like that, that's how dangerous she is. Um, she can charge a hero, knock him down and kill him all in one go. And, and the worst part is because She's fight six. You can combo this really beautifully with a bat swarm. The two hit, and all of a sudden your hero, no matter what their fight value is, it's five. They can't bring it above five. Right? Even if they got to fight ten on a heroic strike, it's still half to five. She's six, so she's winning those fights on a tie. She's got, I think it's like two might or three might. I could be, I think it's two might. But she's still got, you know, three attacks on the charge. And when there's the knockdown, it's six with the rerolls to wound. So yeah, she'll annihilate a hero very quickly if you're not protecting it. And because bat swarms fly, they can jump battle lines and set up that sort of assassination attack. And yeah, this is an army that you don't see a lot, and I'm kind of mm. surprised because it looks so vulnerable when you see it on the table across from you. And mm -hmm. it, it is really the epitome of kind of the glass hammer, yeah. this army, because it can die really quickly to focus shooting. But you know what? Like, I've played several games against this army, and this army, like giant spiders with their oh two God. wounds... And it is so hard to get rid of them. And this is an army that is entirely capable of wiping you off the table. It moves so fast and hits so hard. Like, I've lost an entire flank of my army in, in, like before you even know what's happening to this to this because it's just it's all over you so fast mm -hmm. and stuff just drops to this. Last thing I want to say about giant spiders is, you know, they've got the fight four, they've got the strength five, they've got the venomous, whatever, venomous fangs, I think is, which is rerolls to ones. And 
I think the thing that people forget the most about them is that they have such a small presence on their base and that they're so close to their base that it's hard to get a beat on them when you put them behind things like hedgerows, when you put them behind even small amounts of terrain, you can quite easily um, have terrain block their line of sight to your opponent so your opponent can't shoot them. So it's it's something to make note of when it comes to the giant, spi- or the giant spiders is that they disappear very easily on the board and can yeah, sometimes be like, forgotten. They're the low rider of MESDG. That's right. <laughs> all right, shall we move on to all that is gold does not glitter? I think so. All right, well, we were um, running low on questions, and it was Team Michael to the rescue. That's right. We had three, three different Michaels, Michael or Mike Shock, Michael Campbell, and Michael Montgomery all send us in multiple questions. Um, we're going to only have time for two here. Uh, so I'm going to go with this one here from Mike Shock. But who, we will get to them other We ones will on. get to the other ones. Yeah, yes, we'll we get will, to the other, we one, get other, to other ones in the other episodes. Yeah. Uh, I haven't written in for a while, uh, but word on the street is that you're short on listener questions. Um, so... Not sure if mine here have much potential for generating discussions, but I thought I'd toss out a few anyway. So here's his first one. What is your not too far-fetched pipe dream model and profile? For me, it's an Urukai captain on armored warg. We all know Isengard doesn't have much in the way of really great combat heroes, and I really don't think it's much of a stretch to think that an Urukai captain stuck on some plates of steel to a warg and rode it into battle. So that's his, um, what does he call it? Not too far-fetched pipe dream model and profile. Would you have such a such a model? Oh, for me, I mean, my sort of far like models that I would love to see are second age elves, right? But that may come around at another time. But you know what I would love to see actually is I would love to see um, an infantry unit that would go into an ant army. You know what I mean? They have them yeah, right in the like, books. What are the they heroes, the Hurors or something? Hero yeah, I forget how you say Hurons it, or Hurors or whatever they're called. But yeah, like those would be a perfect, you know, like 15, 25 point model, maybe 25 points and two wounds and defense five or something like that. That would be perfect to allow the Ent army to just truly be this this, you know, fairly fleshed out thing. Yeah, and the ants are so expensive that like at some point levels, it's really hard to construct an army without like throwing a bunch of points out the window, right? Because you can't get the models to add up to the, you know, whatever the point level is properly. Yeah, I've seen people have to throw out 50 or 60 points in, an, in a tournament just to be like, yeah, can fit it in because the points are off. And I'm just like, that's not fair. Like put like a nice 15 or 25 point, uh, 15 to 25 point horror in there. And all of yeah, a sudden, like it, get, have a model that has, you know, like maybe a 40 point model or a 30 point model with like yeah. a 10 point upgrade or two 10 point upgrades so it can, you know, fill point gaps. Yeah, you could have it be like do maybe like a range shooting attack or maybe some sort of be more resilient. Give it some some versatility, maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. What about yourself? Uh, for me, one of the things I'm still struggling to get through the Silmarillion, I'm telling you, oh my God. <laughs> um, 
But one thing in there that uh, I think would be really interesting, it's an age age one thing. I'm not sure if it actually appears in age two, but there mm. are werewolves in oh. in age one. Not yeah. kind of like the werewolf that we know from, from gothic uh, settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, like not, It's not a shape changer, but uh, it's basically a wolf with an evil spirit inside it. And oh, even okay. Sauron actually turns into a wolf and there are a couple of um notable like named characters in in i don't know if they're in anything other than the silmarillion but uh there's there's a a good model or not a model but a good character called huon or Mm -hmm. huon i'm not sure how you pronounce it and it's a wolfhound Mm -hmm. and basically just demolishes all of the werewolves um, that are fighting for Melkor. And then there's the sort of the evil equivalent, the greatest werewolf that ever lived, Karcharoth. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, they end up going head to head. So I, 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 you know, I love the Wild War Chieftain. And to me, when I read like this kind of thing, it's like this would be the ultimate sort of Wild War Chieftain style of hero or mm-hmm, monster. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool to see them sort of take the Wild War Chieftain and maybe just sort of evolve it into a werewolf. You know what I mean? Because, like, those things, those werewolves, aren't, they don't exist in, like, Third Age, Fourth Age, but they could be, like, this mythical one or two of them that does exist in certain places of evil, and they would be the thing that, like, runs the show when it comes to other wargs. Yeah, well, I mean, like, what's a Gulivar is supposed to be a vampire, right? Yeah. So... It, it fits, it fits, you know. It fits, it fits, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the other one for today is from uh, Michael Montgomery. And I asked Michael where he was from. And he let me know, because he's asked us a couple questions in the past. Mm-hmm. And he's he's from or, uh, originally from Australia, but he's now living in Spain. Oh, wow, nice. Cool, yeah. Must be so um, much warmer there than here. <laughs> I imagine so. Um his question was, are there ever situations where you deliberately take an action that you expect to be less competitive, but results in a game being more fun? Oh my God, I want to hear your answer to this. <laughs> the answer is actually yes, there are times where I do this. Um, oh my God, really? Yeah, there are actually. Uh, so if I'm playing it's a very new player, like a very green player, especially in the first table or the first game or the second game of a tournament, uh, my goal isn't to obliterate them, right? Because I don't want them to, to stop playing the game, right? I want them to have mm-hmm. a good time, an enjoyable time. It's also this idea that I know I'm going to win. Outside of some really bad CDF on the dice, the, the, the odds of me win, losing this game are very low. So let's make this an enjoyable game for this individual. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Um, and let's have a very fun and engaging game. Because um, I know the odds of me losing it are very low, but it's also I want them to have fun so they continue playing and we grow our league. Right, so it's the no clubbing baby seals. Yeah, don't do that. Proviso. Uh, well, that proviso only exists in games one and two. If you're in game three <laughs> and you're playing me, either one, I'm doing terribly, uh, in which case I probably won't play competitive at game three if I'm at that point. Or three, if you got beginner's luck and you're at you're on the top table, I'm gonna go full on into you. So yeah, yeah, yeah games yeah. one and two for, only. For myself, it's like it, there's definitely many situations where I would do stuff that is less competitive. Um, 
but for more if I play to my opponent if my opponent is super competitive then i will try to play my best and mm -hmm. also more competitive so probably less chance of something like that happening um but you know if i'm if i'm in a game and you know i have a huge mission advantage and you know it's it's not fun mm -hmm. um I, I will certainly like throw my troops into an attack, not necessarily a foolhardy one, but mm -hmm. you know, for example, if you could just stand back and shoot for the, the rest of the game and be guaranteed a win, but it's just brutal for the person on the other side. You know what? Like, let's mix it up a bit, like throw some troops into some action. You don't even necessarily have to risk the game over it, but it's like, like at least let the other person play. Like some of the worst games that I've had, not not only in this game but in other games miniature games are the games where your opponent just won't let you play the game yeah. won't let you get involved in the game mm -hmm. um and it's just like those are so discouraging to play and it's not because of of losing it's like i i, I could care less about the losing part mm -hmm. it's like look you know how hard it is to get to a tournament to free up the time to paint the models buy the models do all this and then to come to a table and and basically not get to play the game and the other person all they care about is getting the win it, it is it is and it's just so unfun like give the give your opponent the ability to roll some dice let them let them play you know get into some fights you know that's number one for me mm -hmm. yeah i mean i say this but i'm also building a rangers of athelion force that's going to shoot you off the table before you get to me so i you know Go back and forth on this one. <laughs> I don't think that army is going to be as effective as you think it is. I don't think it will be either, quite honestly. I think I think the effectiveness of that army is going to be in your ability to kite your opponent. It's not that yeah. type of army that's going to stand still and shoot. It just won't work. Yeah. More. We could go on more about that, but I think we've talked enough about that army. Yeah, we've talked so about that army to death. <laughs> <laughs> Let us keep trucking on here. That's right. Are you going to intro this because this is your favorite segment or whatever? I just clicked record before you said that, so yes, I will. All right, okay. now on to our favorite, <laughs> my, my favorite segment especially, and that is what have I got in my pocket? And that is the segment where we each ask each other a Middle Earth related question, could be from anything, and we have to answer on the spot. Now, as Ask a, me a yes or no question this week, not like the one last time. <laughs> go, get out of here. Now, as a, um, as a quick caveat, you know, Don always thinks about these questions well in advance, and he's got a question bank that he goes through. Me, it's generally 10 seconds before the segment starts, I come up with a question. <laughs> So, do you want me to ask my question first, or do you want to ask yours first? Yeah, ask your question first. Okay. So, knowing that some events have a heavy theme component to them, wherein all sorts of things you could do, like bring custom dice, um, wearing something thematic with your list could sort of move you towards winning the event, and I'm talking about the Warhammer Worlds tournament, um, mm -hmm. under what circumstances would you consider dressing up as a dwarf to try to win uh, one of those events? 
What has to be on the table? Dressing up as a dwarf? Yeah, to cosplay as a dwarf to win one of those events. If you're playing a dwarven army, you're dressed up as a dwarf. You've got your dwarven display. Your going goal is to out-theme everybody under what events? What has to be on the table for you to want to do that? Oh, man, I don't know. I'm not really into the whole cosplay thing, and I don't really have the build for a dwarf. Um, but I'll, I'll just say what would it take for me to dress up as a character let's say sure uh, well first of all i, I would not i would want to make sure that i was probably not the only one at the event <laughs> dressing up <laughs> fair enough um yeah like i, I don't own any kind of uh costumey sort of things like that so um it's a good question. I don't know. Like, I guess there would have to be like a prize or if it would, you know, if someone ran a theme where it was like, look, we're having a tournament and I like really want everybody to get dressed up. That's probably all it would take. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was it would have to be kind of more than just an optional thing where you have like three people out of 20 dress up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would kind of have to be, look, you know, we're going to have 20 people out and we want to see like everybody. Like wear some kind of costume for for something. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I could get into it. I definitely could as well. I mean, my cosplay wouldn't be good at all, but I would do it myself. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It'd be like, oh my god, what? It'd be a horrible. <laughs> it'd like, be a horrible costume. It's like if you want to do long hair, you just take a mop and you just throw the mop head on your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have had, we have had events where we've had people dress up. Uh, that's right. In, in costume kudos to them they looked really good when they were dressing up and uh if sort of that wasn't if that was on the table for me to win an event i could use that as an element you know i would do it oh i know you would do it yeah <laughs> so sir what's your question for me okay this is a complicated one as oh, usual God. for me okay do you remember i don't know when this was popular maybe 10 years ago there was a game out there called Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Six Degrees of Separation or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the idea was, you know, you would name an actor and then the person would have, they would have to name um, other actors that that actor appeared with in movies mm -hmm. and you would, you would sort of establish a chain and eventually you would have to come to an actor who was in a movie with Kevin Bacon. Right. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to play Three Degrees of Lord of the Rings. Okay. So I'm going to name an actor, and then I want you to name actors. He does like this an, every time. Like I'll name an actor, and then you name somebody he acted with, and then somebody else that they acted with, until you finally come to an actor that appeared in Lord of the Rings. You follow me? So... Before the segment started, he said, just ask me a yes or no question because we got to be quick. And then he asked... Because I knew this, mine was going to be long. Because then he asked this jargon, like, seriously, three degrees of separation for Lord of the Rings? Oh, my God. Yeah. If you can do it in, like, you know, one, then perfect. Like, if I name an actor and you say, oh, well, they acted in this movie with this person that was in Lord of the Rings, then boom, okay, here you, do we it, go. you do it in one. Here we go. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Keanu Reeves. No, no, I'm naming the actor. Oh, okay, go for it. This is I'm naming the actor. You got to you got oh, to go through the pain. Sense. Okay, go for okay? it. Okay, here's the actor, John Travolta. John Travolta. Oh my God. Famous for being in movies such as Grease. Okay, yeah. Saturday Night Fever. Mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. 
and many other movies. John oh Travolta. Oh, my God. Famous alumni of Welcome Back, Carter. Okay. So I'm going to pitch John Travolta in Pulp Fiction to give me Samuel L. Jackson because I feel like Sammy J's been in more stuff to give you a chance. He um, was going to be one of my clues. Okay, so that would go to you Sammy J. You mind if Jay. I have a sip of your tasty beverage? That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with Samuel L. Jackson. Now, here is the trick. Oh, man. Um... It's three degrees. So I'm now, is that one degree now? Is that, that, that one degree? Yeah, that's one degree. So yeah. I'm on two degrees now. Is that correct? Is that how this works? Or Whatever. I, Just I get it done. For I don't God care how many sakes. steps it takes. <laughs> oh, man. Now I have to remember his movie history. Um, I am prepared with clues. Okay, hit me with some clues from Sammy J. Master Kenobi, you disappoint me. Yoda, Yoda holds you in such high esteem. Surely you can do better. Ewan McGregor? What was he in that was with someone else? Oh. Wait. No. Oh, man. See, this? you, you throw this stuff at me every time. Well, you've already said Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm obviously quoting Star Wars. Who was Samuel L. Jackson in Star Wars? It was Mace Windu, obviously. Right. Okay. Oh, so Mace Mace Windu. Windu. Mace Windu. So he was in. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Um, yeah, but I'm looking clone... for I'm looking for a Star Wars actor that's in the Clone Wars that I can connect to another movie that lets me go to Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Think duel. Think Yoda. Think Yoda oh, spinning through the there air. There we go. Christopher Lee Saruman. There you go. There you go. Count Dooku. Count Dooku, that's right. So John Travolta Travolta, Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction, Star Wars, uh Attack of the Clones, Christopher Lee. That's right, that's right. See, right on. I, I got the first one. I got it without needing you. You did. Yeah. I was it was looking, a little painful, but it we was got a little painful. It. I, hey, I got the first one immediately. <laughs> I'm like, what, which one would I choose? It wouldn't be Uma Thurman, unfortunately. Yeah. It would be well, I did. I did like throw you a lob ball by like feeding you Pulp Fiction because it's like that was the key. I'll get out of here. Okay. Thank you so much for walking me through looking like a fool. <laughs> always happy to do so. Next time I'm not going to be so nice to you. But again, I say that every time and I always forget to come up with a nice question to, to, to hit you hard with. That's my only saving grace. Yeah. I don't think this is my favorite segment anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of like... Gollum asking Frodo every single thing what have you got in your pocket and this is literally me asking you what you have in your pocket every time oh okay all right well is that it for this episode that's it for this episode all right well I guess we will start planning episode 18 but that's it for episode 17 so Mm -hmm. thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of north of the shire and we will see you on the next one